You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Jade and I, many, many years ago, were standing in Bunnings looking at axes and splitters. In particular, um, I wanted a, a splitter that, you know, if I, if I missed the log, wasn't going to just break, you know, snap off the, the handle like a twig. So I was particularly drawn to this $99 one. Now, that's huge money for a splitter, but um, this was, it was made in Norway. Anything, you know, made up there has got to be good, right? I mean, they have big trees. And uh, so, so it was made in Norway. It had a had a lifetime warranty. I don't know if it was a lifetime of the, the user or the axe, but it was a lifetime warranty. It um, uh, was Teflon coated. It was going to just slice through wood like butter. And, and I kind of thought, you know what, if, if ever I was going to just splurge, today's the day. So, so Jade and I proudly walked out with this, this brand new splitter. Now, the, the reason behind all of that was it was Daniel's 16th birthday party that particular day, and he wanted to, um, as all his friends gathered, he wanted to have a slip and slide. We've got a l- nice little slope, but I had a, a pile of uncut firewood there, not a lot of it, and I thought, well, other than kind of move it and then chop it and, and kind of add to my work, I'll, and, and these are words that should never be spoken, I will quickly chop the wood. And um, so I uh, had this, and I was really looking forward to this, you, you know, uh, giving out this new splitter a try. For, fortunately, Jade wasn't anywhere to be seen. And, and so um, um, first, first chop, so, you know, we, we know this, right, guys? Legs, legs apart and so forth. So first chop, finally, it seriously, like a knife through butter. It was amazing. It just s- split the wood. It did exactly what it was advertised to do. In fact, it did it so easily, and the log just sat there saying, what happened to me? And I just thought, you know what? I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to reposition myself. So I just moved over to the right, and this time I, I missed the log, but I didn't miss everything. I actually went into, into my foot, and I remember staring at the foot. Now, until you've done it, you, I mean, we all do it, don't we? We all wonder, what does it feel like? <laughs> Come on, you've all wondered this, haven't you? What does it feel like to chop your foot in half? And I, well, I had wondered this, and, and, and actually it was kind of that blunt trauma. It, it, it wasn't like a cutting sensation like you might imagine. It was, well, look at you guys cringing. You'd think I was talking about a vasectomy. Well, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so um, it, it, it was more like you just could have hit it with a hammer or something. It was just that pounding sensation. So much so that actually I, I wasn't really aware of what I'd done. I just remember looking there and, and thinking that the tongue and laces of my shoe were rather bloody for a, for a, for a shoe. And, um, and then I realized that actually I'd sliced right through the, the laces, the, the tongue, and I actually wasn't, wasn't looking, looking at laces, tongue, or sock. And, and then I realized, oh dear, I've, I've done something bad here, haven't I? But wanting to keep calm, I, I remember conveying the message to, because we're all around the house cleaning up the yard. I remember conveying to the, the message to Daniel to, to get mum to call an ambulance. I remember conveying it perhaps a little too calmly. It was something like, Dan, I've cut my foot and you need to ask mum to call an ambulance. 
And uh, he just kept on doing what he was doing. <laughs> All right, I need to just escalate this a little bit. Dan, I really need you to concentrate and focus on what I'm saying. And, and we went through this, and he just stared at me. An ambulance. Yes, yes, I've cut my foot. So he, um, he ran off to get mum, and I thought, I'll just try and make my way up the back steps and onto the deck. And, and uh, then her nursing background, Ron's nursing background kicked in. The ambulance was called. Um, a very good time to, to cut your foot is during the Eltham Jazz Festival. You will find the paramedics um, down having coffee and listening to the jazz, very close to, to where we live. And uh, so actually we could, we could from, our, from our back deck, we could actually hear, you know, the sirens go on and kind of think, oh, that's wonderful, they're very close. And Bronze nursing background kicked in, we, we took, the, took the shoe off, wrapped it in a towel and, and so forth. And, and uh, we have fantastic healthcare here in Australia, don't we? It is incredible. The, the paramedics were amazing, got along very well with them. And uh, they, um, they were very, very concerned to... Um, stem the, the blood flow and, and make sure there wasn't too much blood loss. You know, blood loss, um, and that's really the, the critical factor at that point, it can, can lead to shock, it can lead to unconsciousness, and, and if you don't do anything about it, ultimately it can, can lead to death. And I would say joy loss in the spiritual life, the loss of the joy of our salvation or the loss of joy, joy loss is as critical to the soul as blood loss is to the body. It really is a, an important matter. Well, um, what, what is it? Is this joy of our salvation, is, is, is it really a thing? Where do, we, where do we find it in the Bible? What is this, this apparent joy of our, our salvation? Is it just what certain, you know, certain uh, I guess, streams of the church will be more joyous than other streams? And we're one of those streams that are far more serious about our faith? Well, no, no. It seems that that actually it's right across the board. It should be for every follower of Jesus Christ. Um, apparently, um, in the midst of great persecution and suffering, Peter spoke of it, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, there's the joy of our salvation. It's inexpressible. It's, it's glorious. It's, it's really a thing. Um, but not just New Testament as well. David, of course, in the Old Testament, um, lamented the fact that after his sin with Bathsheba, that he actually might lose the joy of his salvation. So his prayer is, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David was concerned that he actually might lose this joy of salvation. So, so what is it? How would we define it? Well, simply put, it's the joy that comes from knowing you're saved. You finally found someone that you can trust to actually save you. Uh, for 
David, he expressed this in Psalm 24, 5. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, David here wasn't just talking about being saved from his, from his enemies, the, the foes and hostiles that were coming against him. He was actually talking about being made right with God, not just deliverance from enemies, but actually having a right standing with God. Indeed, the former is only true because of the latter. In other words, David could only have confidence of being delivered from his enemies because he had a right standing with God. So salvation for David, there in the Old Testament, was to have this right standing with God. And then he didn't really have to worry about his his enemies. Now, of course, David didn't know how God would ultimately do it, that is, save him and give him eternal life. But he knew who God was, and that was enough. He could trust him. In other words, David didn't need to know about the atoning work of Christ. It was enough that God did. This is sometimes what what is called or what Calvin called implicit faith. In other words, this is the faith of those in the Old Testament who trusted God for their salvation, but they still didn't know. They they didn't, you know, weren't able to map out how it was that God was ultimately going to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, If you think about Ephesians 2, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. Those two elements could still be applied to David at that time. The grace of God was evident in his life. He realized God is good to me. His grace abounds. It is by his grace, unmerited favor, it is by his grace that I am saved. And I believe that in faith. Those two elements were were actually still true of David, Abraham, the patriarchs, and so many in the Old Testament. Indeed, even those who followed Jesus Christ, as we read in the Gospels, who believed and were commended for their faith, but still didn't actually know how this whole thing was going to work out. What was the atoning work of Jesus actually going going to mean for them? It didn't matter that they didn't know how God was going to do it. It only mattered that they placed their faith in God. God was the object of their faith. At that time, God knew how he'd do it, and they were commended for their faith. Hebrews, uh, or Psalm 51, uh, 15.1, David again says, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Um, in Hebrews 11:13 to 16, all these people, and, and this is the, the list of those who were commended for their faith, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. That's what they were longing for. And, and so we see that there is this, this faith at, at work, and, and this was true for, for David. This was the source of his joy. He knew who it was that was going to save him. He had found someone that he could actually trust. Now, the difference in the New Testament is, of course, and, and Paul, in one of his most, um, I guess, passionate letters, his letter to the Galatian Christians, in the New Testament, they not only knew, the, knew the, um, who it was that was going to save them, God, but they knew how he was going to do it. 
And the Galatian Christians, as Paul writes, you know, actually, actually had this. The, the how, if you like, of, of God's salvation plan actually was a who. It was Jesus. And the Galatian Christians actually, actually knew this. Um, Paul writes to them in the letter to their Galatians, um, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, that is what a precious verse. Of course, as Galatians, Galatians 2.20, the first half of that is, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. How beautiful, the life I now live in the body. I, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right, that is that's so precious, isn't it? Here's Jesus. You know you know who saved you. You know who you can put your trust in. It's Jesus. And what has he done? He's loved you. And he died for you. Ah, a wonderful verse to, to memorize. This Jesus is the who. This is God's plan. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. The Galatian Christians knew this, but they needed a reminder they needed a reminder because they had lost the joy of their salvation. They had forgotten that they were saved. They had forgotten who had done this. They had forgotten that Jesus was the source of their joy. The Galatian Christians needed a reminder not only of the, the how of God's plan for salvation, and, and that was a who, but they also needed to know what Jesus had done. Jesus had covered our sins by, by taking sin's curse. Paul, in chapter 3, verse 13, wrote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus covers our sin by taking sin's curse. This is the how. We know Jesus came to save us. How did he do it? Well, he became a, a curse for us. Uh, the weight of our sin, which was a curse, it was, it was like a noose around our neck. The weight of that sin, that curse which was upon us, Jesus took from us. He took the curse from us. One of my old professors Brilliant, brilliant mind and very, very passionate about God. He was a popular conference speaker. And on one occasion, he'd been speaking at this conference primarily for pastors. And, and a pastor came up to him after the conference and, and said, I just wondered if we could have a chat. And, and he was assuming it was one of those sort of chats, just, oh, yes, yes, you've got a question about, you know, something I said. And, and he looked a little bit you know, anxiously around him, and he said, actually, could we meet somewhere private? And uh, it was a very, very large conference at a big, big hotel and so forth, and, and uh, so my prof thought, oh, oh, yes, well, we could, you know, go, go up to your room if you'd like and, and have a chat there, just I'll, I'll have to finish up here. But So they did that, and, and he met this particular pastor up in his room, and, and they, they sat down. And, but, but as my prof was going up there, he, he really sensed God, God saying to him, what you're about to hear, I want you to know I've got it covered. I thought, all right, that's kind of an interesting one, but all right. And so, so he had that in the back of his mind. He went and he sat with this, 
this pastor, and, and immediately he could sense there was just this great anguish. And with tears in his eyes, he, he said, I just need to get something off my chest. He said, I know I'm forgiven. I know it in my head. I preach it every Sunday, but here's the thing. And he went on to, to tell my, my prof about this particular sexual sin, which was so abhorrent that, that, it's, that it's outlawed in, in most civilized countries. And, and he told him what he had done as a, as a young man. And now the tears just started to pour, and he was in terrible anguish. But again, my, my friend was kind of equipped for this moment. He had in the back of his mind the words from God, I've got this covered. And so he just, he just put his hands on the guy's shoulders, and he just said, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Tears streaming down his face, and he says, yes. And my prof just said simply, God wants you to know he's got this covered. He's got you covered. The curse is gone. That's what Galatians 3.13 means. It means that, that weight of sin. Yes, the guilt and the shame. Doesn't matter what it is. God's got it covered. Your capacity your power to foul up is nothing compared with God's power to redeem. Whatever it is, God has you covered. He has become the curse on our behalf. I have um, this old new living translation Bible. It's... Um, it's a little bit, little bit worn. It's a bit of a fave. I use it probably more devotionally than, than anything. Uh, it's got a few little notes in it. It's kind of special. It reminds me of, of something very, very important. The message of the words, words within. Um, it was given to me by a, by a friend in, in missions on one occasion. And... Uh, um, a good, good friend. In fact, we'd been scuba diving together and shared some good times, but I lost track of him for many, many years. And uh, I heard on one occasion uh, another mutual friend said, Oh, Stu, I've got some sad news. I don't think you would have heard this. I said, Oh, what is it? And he said, It's about our friend such and such. And I said, Oh, oh, well, tell me. And he said, well, um, and he told me this long, long story, but the short version of it was that um, he was still in, still in missions, and for reasons that nobody's, nobody's quite, quite sure, he um, left, his, left his wife for a, for a young girl. He stole, embezzled a whole lot of money from the mission agency and then did the unthinkable, and that is take out a, take out a contract on his wife. Um, and, um, and of course, um, God intervened in a, in a wonderful way and brought it to the attention of leaders of the mission agency, and, and it was all able to be averted and brought, brought to the light. But it still, it still left, I guess, our, our friend in a, in a very, very difficult position. And when I used to look at this Bible afterwards and think about that time. I remember when he gave it to me and, and just think about that. I, I guess I think about the, you know, what it was that I'd, that I'd heard that, 
my friend had done and, and the trouble that he'd gotten himself into and just thinking about the weight of that. And yet I think about Galatians 3.15, that, that Christ has redeemed us from this curse, the curse of the law. And quite simply, whatever it was that my friend had done, Jesus had it covered. It was covered. God's power to redeem is far greater than our power to, to foul up. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus simply says, it's covered. And I don't know if you carry the, the weight of some sin or regret in your life, along with the wreck, you know, often the shame and the guilt, but Jesus says to you today, I want you to know, I've got it covered. I've got you covered. It's okay. I have become a curse for you. Whatever it is that you carry, I want you to know I have it covered. Somebody once asked me, Stu, how is it that you develop graciousness? I, uh, you're a fairly gracious person. How did that develop in your life? I thought about it for a while, and I, I don't know. The answer is Jesus, I know that, but, but I was thinking, well, how did he do that? What, what, what's, what was being the process? And I, I guess in some ways, and I've got a long way to go yet, but in some ways, if I look at huh, the difference between Stuart as a much, much younger man and perhaps, yes, perhaps an awareness of the grace of God later on in my life, I'd probably put it down to this, that that there came a day where I realized or understood that my sins might be different to other people's, but my guilt is absolutely the same. You know, I can have different sins, but my guilt and my standing before God is absolutely the same as everybody else, and I need Jesus just as much as the next person. The good thing is, he's got me covered as well. So Jesus, Jesus is the, the who of the how. Jesus is the one who covers our sin by, by taking sin's curse. And then another wonderful thing happens here. God seals our adoption as his children by giving us his spirit. Um, Galatians 4, 6, Six says, because you are his son's God, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, which translates as daddy, father. Here is, here is the Holy Spirit helping us to understand something we could never understand in and, in and of ourselves. I mean, think about that for a moment. How could we believe for a second that we are now a child of God? How could you believe that? I mean, humanly speaking, you would, you would say it is delusional if you, if you didn't happen to 
to believe in a God, you would say that's doubly delusional, although it's not just Christians who can be doubly delusional. I think a double delusion is, is what you call the confidence Australian voters had that a double dissolution wouldn't simply end in a double disillusion. I mean, the truth is delusional, delusionality is, is fairly common. But how delusional are we as Christians, think about it for a moment, to think that we are actually a child of God. What would make you think that? You can't think it. You can't believe it in your own strength. You would need the Spirit of God to do that. That's exactly what he does. Like a seal over your heart, he says it. You're a child of God. This is not a truth that you can comprehend yourself. You can't get this. Can't get your head around this. That would be delusional, to be quite honest. What on earth makes you think that you could be one of God's children? Heaven. That's all. There's nothing on earth. Only heaven coming to earth can actually impart that truth to you. You need the Spirit of God to help you understand that you are a child of God. Only he can impart that truth to you. And that's exactly what he does, and he, and he seals that, that truth in your heart. So that's what God has done for us. We're saved, and we know who to put our trust in. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's done all of this. So our joy then comes from knowing Jesus has us covered. He saved us. He's done it. We've finally found someone that we can trust and our faith is in him, not in us, as it should be. Uh, this is where Paul is, is correcting the Galatian Christians uh, a little bit. So he says in, in chapter 2.16, he says, You know, we're Jews. We're not simple Gentiles. Surely we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this truth, knowing this, should fill you with immense joy. All right. So how do we lose it? How do we lose that, that fundamental joy of, of our salvation? What happens to it? Well, I'd suggest we start to lose the joy of our salvation when we start to rely on our own effort, not the Spirit, to complete what God had started. And this is exactly what Paul says to the Galatian Christians. Chapter 3, verse, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish... After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish off by means of the flesh? In other words, is your confidence now in the flesh? Um, I guess it's as, as crazy as going back to, back to putting the axe in my foot and that moment where, you know, I suddenly realized, <laughs> it's going to be okay, I'm saved. The Ambos are here. They seem to know what they're doing. They're good people. And as they popped me onto their little, little trolley and, and strapped me in and wheeled me up our driveway to the ambulance, you know, I kind of felt like I was in good hands. 
Now, how ridiculous would it have been if, as they're pushing me into the back of the ambulance, to all of a sudden jump up and whip the straps off and say, you know what, guys, as pride kicked in and, you know, I kind of thought, ah, this is is embarrassing. Not only did I put an axe in my foot, but people pampering me and fussing and that sort of thing. You guys, you get in the back. I'll drive. I've got it covered from here. You know what? I've got this. I've got this. It would have been ridiculous, huh? Unthinkable. Uh, imagine the, the thief on the cross. You know, those three crosses are a picture right there and then of all humanity. You've got Jesus in the middle. On the one side, you've got somebody who says, I believe. On the other side, you've got somebody who says, nah. The thief who says, I believe. You know, will you please remember me? And Jesus says, I tell you, this day you're going to be in paradise with me. Imagine the thief at that moment saying, fantastic, well, thank you. Jesus, you can jump down now. I've got it from here. Ridiculous. Imagine Jesus showing up. You know the one to put your trust in and then trying to tell him that he's no longer needed. You've got, I got this. I got this. It's all right. It's all right. Thank you, God. You tried. Oh, it's all right. I'm here. I mean, really. And yet... Every time we start to trust in our own effort, in our own merit, in our own works, that's exactly what we're doing. And I want to say it's not just a temptation to a certain percentage of Christians. It's a temptation to all Christians. Every single day of our life, we will find ourselves wanting to do this thing in our own strength. Now, we know... As we're gathered here in this kind of moment of clarity where we're opening up God's word and looking at these things, we know it's ridiculous, right? Ha! Imagine, imagine trying to do this in your own strength. We could all laugh and high-five each other and say, never! And then within about a minute, we'll go and do just that. It's one of the, one of the difficulties or challenges, really, of the Christian life. But our sanctification is, is actually a part of our salvation. We often separate the two out, so salvation here and sanctification there. That's not accurate. Our sanctification, becoming holy like God, actually belongs under the umbrella of our salvation. That's where it actually properly lies. And our sanctification is part of our salvation. And and God, frankly, can be trusted to finish what he began. And he's the only one who can finish what he's begun. Whenever we hope, or sorry, going back to our illustration of the ambulance. I got this covered, guys. You jump in the back, I'll drive. Whenever we hop in the driver's seat, confident in our own ability, joy is the victim. We've just taken our salvation back into our own hands. And the loss will be joy every single time. It's, it's simply put, Christianity on our own terms. And the truth is, we all love, love it that way. We love salvation and we balk against lordship. We love to have Christianity on our own terms. But whenever we do that, joy 
will be the victim. It always is. So, how can joy be restored? How can we keep it? How can we maintain it? How can joy be restored? Well, firstly, by remembering this. Remember that you can no more sanctify yourself than you can save yourself. It wasn't you on the cross, and it isn't you who lives the Christian life. The first part of Galatians 2.20, remember, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It wasn't you on the cross. It isn't you who lives the Christian life. What we need to do again and again and again to find that joy, to return to the joy of our salvation, is just go back to the absolute basics. Galatians 6.14, Paul says it this way, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had nothing else to boast in but Jesus Christ. I had to hand in a, uh, a resume, if you like, before I was um, to, to speak in a number of South Korean churches. And, and I was told how to put the resume together. And they said, Stuart, you know, list everything you've ever accomplished, everything you've ever done. List your degrees, your diplomas, the lot. He said, build it up. You know, if you've ever made a cake, put yourself down as a chef. You know, can you get to build this thing up, build this thing up. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And I said, Stuart, if you don't do this, we can't move forward. I said, I have to have this resume. I have to have it to hand out to, to the churches there in South Korea or they're just not going to look at you. And I said, well, I don't care if they're not going to look at me. And I said, will you work with me here? So we came up with a little compromise. I, I eventually, you know, it was very Australian, isn't it? We don't like our resumes and that sort of thing. We play it all down. Other cultures play it up. I kind of, I kind of thought, all right, I'll list a few things here. But, um, and he said, I like it. And I said, well, let me print it out for you. When I printed it out, I'd also put in a header and a footer. And on the, on the footer, it simply said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> My little rebellion. <laughs> but it's true, huh? It's true. Nothing else on that CV mattered. It wasn't worth the paper it was written on. None of it mattered. It didn't matter what had, what had I done. What did I, what did I have? What had I accomplished? None of it meant squat. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that I have is Jesus Christ. And so coming back to the basics means it means I'm, I'm once more going to simply just, just plead the blood. Plead the blood of Jesus. Um, Hebrews 9.22 says, in fact, the law requires that well, nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 1 John 1 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If I trust in the shedding of his blood, he has me covered. And that's how I know he has me covered. I simply plead the blood. Yes. <laughs> I know there's an accuser. Yes, I am guilty as charged, but the blood of Jesus covers my sin. 
So I know I stand right before God. And so do you. On what basis? Just that. Just that. Nothing more. Think about all of the great things you've done, all the great things you've accomplished. Think about your certificates, your awards, everything, all of that merited behavior. Think about it all. It's rubbish. It ain't going to help you stand right before a holy God at all. There is only one thing that you can plead in that moment. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. My Jesus loved me and died for me. He shed his blood. It doesn't matter what allegation you throw at me. It doesn't matter what secret sin gets uncovered. It doesn't matter what you discover about me. It doesn't matter what you accuse me of. Yes, whether it be true or not, it really doesn't matter because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. End of matter. And it's the only thing that God looks at. I know because of that, I have right standing with God. So we plead the blood and we hold to the cross. And that is what gives us such joy. Because on that fact, we know we're saved. There's no shadow of a doubt. I know that I know that I know. I am right with my God. Kind of, kind of makes me feel just a bit joyous. That's the, the joy of our salvation. Rediscovering it is not hard. It's simply putting aside merit and embracing what Christ has done for us, and that will restore joy. Quite simply, merit and joy just don't mix. They just don't mix at all. Get rid of all of your meritorious works, all of your self-goodness, all of that pumped-up confidence, all of, all of it, the pride, the lot, dump it. Because it doesn't mix with your salvation. You need a savior. You have a savior. His name is Jesus. He shed his blood for you. You're covered. It's that simple. And we're going to celebrate that together right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you so much for this word and this reminder of where our salvation ultimately lies. With David, we would say, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. We know 
that your Holy Spirit won't depart from us. We thank you. We thank you for that fact. But would you today restore to us the joy of our salvation? Remind us once more that you have acted to save us through Jesus Christ, the sending of your Son. And as we gather around and enjoy this Lord's Supper together as we drink the symbols of your blood which was shared and your body which was broken. We remind ourselves that you have us covered. You became a curse to take away the curse. We're saved. You've got us covered. We thank you and we rejoice in that. We plead the blood. We hang to the hang on to the cross. We know and we thank you that we have right standing with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. What a joy. And perhaps as we have been contemplating these things, you've been reminded in some way or another of the confidence that you can have through Jesus that anything and everything is absolutely covered. He's, he's got you. He's got you. And with that confidence and by the, the prompting of his Holy Spirit, perhaps there is an area of your life that is unsurrendered or, a, or something that has lurked in the background for a long, long time. The accuser has had too much fun with it and it's now time to bring it before your Savior, Jesus Christ. Lay it at the cross and let it be dealt with once and for all. That's something that has been up until this point in time too difficult to confess or too difficult to believe that Jesus could really cover it. But he can. And it doesn't matter how dark it is and it doesn't matter how way back it is. It doesn't matter whether it's in your, your childhood, your teenage years or even your recent life. Whatever it is, it's okay. With confidence, you can bring it into the light. You can acknowledge it. You can confess it. You can bring it into the light and you can have confidence that Jesus has you covered. There is no manner of evil in this world that cannot 
be dealt with at the, at the cross. And this is a beautiful and perfect time to make sure that it is. As we drink from the cup, we are reminded of Christ's blood that was shed on our behalf. Our sin is covered and we have right standing with God. As his body was broken on the cross, we are reminded that he was crucified, that he became a curse and took our curse. He was crucified in our place and in him, we too, that old life is now dead. It's crucified also. We have hope, real hope for the future. Hope that he can shape us, not by our efforts, but as he lives within us, Christ lives within us, hope to reach those lofty heights that we once thought were unattainable. It's not so. He's got that covered as well. And he longs to take us there. To be everything that you were meant to be. It is within reach because it's within his reach. He loves to live his life through us and he wants to take you there today. There is hope. It can all be redeemed. There are no second chances and and regrets, not in Jesus. Let's step forward in him, with him, into the life we've always wanted and which he has designed for each and every one of us. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www dot elthambaptist dot net